listening to City Light Vineyard's podcast of our Sunday morning messages. To learn more about City Light, visit us at ourcitylight.org. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and challenges you. Welcome to City Light. You guys can tell I've not been to church for quite some time. Um, Actually, I was last week here, but I was with the kids, so no one knows you're there when you're in the kids. You're really probably like in complete, you know, uh, banishment when you're working with the children. And they're like, oh, why haven't you been to church forever? It's like, I have been. I've been doing the hardest thing. But anyway, so why do we go with misfits? I think it's important to, to talk about this because Christian and I, you know, as we, as we pray about and as we think about these series, we actually put all, probably far more thought into titles than probably is necessary. But we fought, we didn't fight about this. We, we, we wrestled with it because misfits, it's kind of like a negative connotation, right? Like, a, oh, you're a misfit. It's kind of a, a, a bad thing. And so we, we kind of had other ideas that we were thinking of, like ordinary people. Christian had one that's, okay, you, you ready for this? It was mission improbable. And I was like, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we went with misfits because I think, let's look at the definition of misfits. Someone, something that fits badly, and, and that really is all of you. So, um, and a person who is poorly adapted to a situation or environment, a social misfit. Another way to see it is it's someone, who, um, someone who feels out of place. And I think actually that sits well. At times, all of us feel out of place. At times, all of us feel like we're not fitting perfectly, or we don't really know where we fit, or what, what we're supposed to do, or maybe we feel like everybody else has got it all together, and we're the only ones faking life, you know, and we feel like misfits, and so we want to talk about this, so there's double meaning there, that's the first one. The second one is, when you follow Jesus, when you respond to his call, um, there's times when, there, I had another definition, but it didn't print, but it's some, something like you, you have to step into, uh, socially, sometimes you have unusual or different behavior than everybody else. And when you follow Jesus, sometimes you're put into places where you have to step up or you have to step out in ways that no one else does and you feel like a misfit. And so it's kind of, we're going to talking about this over the next few weeks, about what it means to follow Jesus and the kind of the raw material that Jesus is looking for, for those who are going to follow him. Um, in high school, I was definitely a misfit. I, I felt like a misfit. Let me just tell you, I was homeschooled up to eighth grade, and then I went to high school in ninth grade. And I was, you know, that idea is terrifying, to go from being homeschooled all your life and then having to go to school. And it was, it was really scary, and it was the night before. And some, some reason, my mom decided to get me a haircut, and it was a terrible haircut. It was definitely not as good as this haircut. You know, I mean, this is, this is sweet, but it was awful. And actually... Actually, yesterday, Judah and I were driving back from getting haircuts, and he looks at me and he says, you know, you have a really weirdly shaped head. <laughs> He's like, just hair doesn't sit well on you. <laughs> so, it's always good to have children to build your confidence. That's why you have them, right? They make you feel better. <laughs> um, everybody's like, wow, I see that now, you know. Um, <laughs> But in high school, so this was the night before, and I was sitting in, in, I don't know, sitting in front of a computer, back then it was huge, and I was just sitting there, and I had my glasses on because I didn't have contacts in, and Christian, 
Um, back then was my brother's best friend. I since has stolen, I've stolen him, but back then he was my brother's best friend, and we were friends, but I was kind of like the little brother. He walks in, and he's Christian love school. He was like the most popular guy. You guys could, you know, he was like, everybody wanted to hang out with him. He was like handsome. All the girls were falling all over him. So what Christian said, he didn't realize it really made a difference. So I was sitting there, and he walks in. He looks at my haircut. He looks at my glasses. He says, hey, nerd, how you doing? Like that, and then he keeps on walking. And I was like, and so then I went to school, and I really did feel like a misfit. Like, I didn't connect. I was a strange person, kind of, because I was homeschooled, so I, like, wanted deep conversations, and all the other guys in my class just, I, I couldn't stand them. Um, if you're in here, I'm sorry, but no, like, it was just, we didn't, and I made friends with all the girls, and so then everybody started calling me, like, gay and stuff like that, and back then I was really offensive, and I was really upset, and, and it just felt, and my clothes, like, my parents never taught me how to, like, iron clothes, so my clothes was constantly wrinkly. I had long, you know, whatever. I felt like a misfit. I actually felt like overlooked and small. And I think that we can all relate at times where we feel that way in our lives. And, and, and this is a reason why we love stories of people who are misfits or people who are overlooked or people who no one expected anything to happen, where they overcome those things to do something great. Right now, I'm reading one of my favorite book series for the third time. I'm such a nerd, but I'm reading it again because I love it. I got kind of snuck into it, like, whatever. I was on vacation, and I just started listening to it audio, and I was like, oh, oh. And I just started, and I'm reading it again for the third time because it's about this, this person who's a slave, and he rises up to overcome, you know, this galactic government that is, just, you know, uh, terrorizing everybody. So it sounds terrible, but it was, it's such a good book. All right, and that's why we are drawn, because the thing is, is we are drawn to the stories that we can see ourselves in. We see ourselves and we say, hey, look, that person's weak. That person is funny looking. That person looks small. That person is flawed. And so look at this, right? We love, Lord of the Rings is one of the biggest book series ever to be sold. The two heroes are, I like, I wanted to put a picture in of where, how tiny they were. No one expected anything of these hobbits. And yet we love to see the story of Frodo and Sam and what they overcome to actually save all of Middle Earth. How about this? Oh, isn't he so cute and little? Who is this? Yeah, right, okay. All right, yes, Harry Potter, like this little boy who, you know, is, sleeps under a staircase and has this great mission to overcome the evil in the world. Okay, next one. What's this? Right, look, you see all these ants who are nothing, have no strength compared to the tyranny of the grasshoppers, yet there's one ant, despite his flaws, who stands up. We love it. How about this one? This is actually like a band of misfits, right? You have Chunk, and you have all these other guys I can't remember what their names are, and then you have my favorite misfit of all time. Hey, you guys, right? Sloth, and what they overcome, and how they save their family, and it's just a beautiful story. I even have a shirt that says Goonies on it, and I kid you not, people stop me all the time and say, that's my favorite movie. I love that movie. It's, it's the greatest conversation piece in the world. So get, get yourselves a Goonies shirt, okay? How about these guys? Right? Hermie and Rudolph. They actually sing about being misfits. They actually go to the island of misfit toys. And we love them for it. Rudolph has a ridiculously bright nose that everybody mocks him for. Yet in the end, he gets them all with it. No, he takes his revenge. No, he saves them all. Okay. All right, how about this one? Who's this guy right here? This is Rebecca's huge crush growing up. 
Somehow she married me thinking that I was, you know, no. But right here's, here is the karate kid who's bullied. And then he trains with Mr. Miyagi and eventually has to face his bully one-on-one till death. No, not really. But anyway, how about this guy right here? Who's this right here? Yeah, I can't remember. No, Poe, right? Poe. He has to be the dragon warrior. But he's ridiculous. He loves food more than anything else, which we all can relate to. We're Americans. So we identify with Poe, having to find his destiny from deep within. So we love these stories because they actually speak to us. Because we see them not hiding behind their flaws, not hiding behind their misfitness. They overcome. They, They take action. They rise up. And see, this is why the gospel is so compelling. This is why Jesus' teachings have been so profound for so many people. This is why his teachings, when you actually read his words, stir the heart. This is why millions of people have read or heard his teachings and they've responded with their lives. They said, this is something worth it. This is something I can get behind. Why? Because he speaks to those people who no one else cared about. He actually had people follow him. Crowds of people follow him. And think about the crowds. It wasn't the elite. It wasn't the powerful. The people who followed him were the sick. They were the poor. They were the young. They weren't the prominent. They weren't the influencers. They weren't the mover and shakers. They weren't the impressive. These were people who could barely make it through the day. Yet they followed him. And then one day, I think this is so incredible. One day, Jesus is up on a hilltop. And he's speaking to this crowd. I've never really thought about the the people he was talking to. But it's these people. And he says this crazy thing. He says, you you guys are the light of the world. If I put you on a hilltop, it's not to hide you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not embarrassed of you. See, most of the world has been embarrassed of you for so long. Because of your flaws, because of your weaknesses, because of what you look like, because of your silly haircuts. It's not to hide you. It's so that you can shine. And can you just imagine, put yourself in that place, because all your life you've heard the opposite from those people in position of power and authority. And they've said, get away. You are embarrass us. You aren't worth it. Actually hide away. Instead, he's saying, I'm going to put you on a hilltop so you can shine? And they're like, are you sure you have the right people? I mean, they're confused. They're like, who's he talking to? Which, which one of you is he talking to in this mass here? Because they all felt that I have nothing to shine. I have nothing to give. What, who am I? That he, I mean, Jesus, you're great. I mean, we've seen what you've done. You're, you're incredible. Uh, but me? Can I go any higher? Me? Right? I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, have you taken a look at my marriage? Have you taken a look at my finances? Have you taken a look at how crazy my kids are? I mean, all these things disqualify me. I can't shine. Yet he speaks to them. And I think it's remarkable. And I hope that we feel the weight of this invite. That this, this thing that Jesus says to these people. He doesn't gather the religious elite. He doesn't gather those who are most impressive in society. He gathers those who are broken and weak and ordinary and flawed. Man, that's amazing, right? So, he invites us all to shine. He sees something significant in you and in me. Where we see insignificance, where we see ordinary, he sees extraordinary. 
Like, he really does. He takes a look at you, and you disqualify yourself, but he doesn't. Because of what he's speaking to you, he's qualifying you to follow him. I think that's amazing. Okay. And so, he came with a whole new paradigm. He didn't play the game that everyone else did of of religious popularity and influence. He actually flipped it on the whole society when he showed up. And he's still doing that. He's not looking for the powerful and the influencers to follow him. He's looking for you and me. Okay, So he selected misfits to be closest to him. Do you think Jesus accidentally chose those who would be his closest friends and disciples? I will answer it for you. No. He was intentional. He was purposeful about who he wanted to be right with him. And these are the people that he picked. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I think it's incredible that Jesus stops at this like remote village, and he stops and he calls out fishermen. Have you ever been called upon in a way, noticed in a way that you felt like honored, like, wow, I can't believe it. Like, that's probably what those guys felt like. Wow, Jesus is stopping and he's calling me right now. And so there's probably like a rush of adrenaline, like, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yes, he's calling me. But then as they start following him, I can imagine insecurity setting in, like, wait a minute. Jesus is a rabbi. Rabbis don't call fishermen to follow him. All I know is how to fish. Does he? And I can see them, wait, just, are you impressive? No. No, did you have anything special to offer? No. Have you ever healed anybody? No. You know, and they're like, um, but why are we following him? Why did he call us? Because Jesus calls them misfits. And I actually think that we still have this, this kind of battle within all of us. When he calls us, we feel this like, yes, I want to follow him. But then as we follow him, we feel this, I don't know if I'm qualified to follow him. I don't know if I can really represent Jesus. I don't know if I can do what he does. I can't. Uh-oh. That's okay. I, I can't do this. And, 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 and so... Two things I think that I think we need to, to realize about this story of what Jesus did to call them. All right, two things I think are, are beautiful. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us as who we are. See, they probably felt pressure to change all of a sudden. Now we're following a rabbi. Now we're following someone powerful. Well, we need to uh, kind of puff up our chest and, and try to act different. And, and we can't smell like fish anymore. And, and we need to, uh, you know, memorize some Bible verses or something. We need to be impressive. Jesus calls us not to discard who we are, not to forget about it. Actually, who you are is what he's calling. He's calling you into this. It's kind of like, have you guys, uh, I just directed Aladdin Jr. with a bunch of fifth, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and then we took them to see the movie Aladdin. Anybody see the movie Aladdin? Anybody know the story of Aladdin? Raise your hand if you know the story of Aladdin, right? Yes, one jump ahead of that. Okay, and so Aladdin, this is exactly the story of Aladdin because Aladdin is just a thief and a street rat Yet he feels like in order to actually be somebody, he has to completely fake who he is, be a prince, to win the princess. And in the end, he realizes he just has to be himself. See, Jesus calls you as you are. There is, you are all the diamond in the rough. Really, you are the diamond in the rough. There are things in you that he sees, that he knows there's potential. He's calling it out. He's saying, I want that about you. 
Don't try to be like this person. Don't, you know, how horrible would this church be if we all tried to be Christian all the time? Not like a Christian, but Christian all the time. If we all tried, like, we want to impress God, well, we're going to have to be like Christian. And so we all have to wear button-down shirts, and we all have to love Wawa and ice cream. And, uh, okay, what else? I can't make fun of him anymore. Okay. And see, Jesus hears you. He hears your excuses. But, but, but I can't really, but, and he stops you right there and he says, I know. Do you think anything that you're going to say is going to surprise me? I know your weaknesses. I know your flaws. I know your past. I know what people have done to you or what you've done. I know, yet I'm still calling you. That should pump us up because it means all of us can respond to his invite. The second thing is, Jesus calls us because he believes in us. Like, just let that sit in your heart for a minute. He believes in you. Like, he sees something in you. Now, he calls us to believe in him, but also... He believes in you. It's like a two-way street. He believes in you so much. He's your biggest fan. Even when you want to run and hide, even when you feel like a failure, even when you feel like you don't want to get out of bed, he believes in you. And he believes in the potential of your life. He believes in what you can do for his kingdom. He's called you for a purpose. And it's not because he called you just so that his entourage can be bigger. He's like, you know, you're not going to be that important, but you're going to be seen with me. And that's, that's good. And actually, I'd feel actually pretty good about that. But... He calls us to do something significant and meaningful. You're not just sitting at the kiddie table with God. He actually says, I want to partner with you in this world. I want you to do something that's actually meaningful and life-changing for you and for others. Like, that's awesome. Have you guys ever gone somewhere to serve and it's pointless? And you, if somebody gives you a job that you realize it doesn't matter what you do. You could literally just sit there. We went as a group to go serve um, some people, hungry people for Thanksgiving, and we got the bread room, and there was like 10 of us put in the bread room, and literally people came through, and they just put out their trays, and you would put bread on there, and literally one person could do this job the whole time, and there was 10 of us in there, and it felt meaningless and pointless, and why are we here? What are we doing? See, I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling, like I'm trying to serve, but I can't. That's not what Jesus calls us into. He doesn't tell you, you just got to sit at the kitty, kitty table and be quiet. Just look good for me. He calls you into something meaningful. It's beautiful. And so this idea, this invite of people who are misfits into his purpose, into his kingdom, is echoed again and again and again throughout the scripture. This is one of my favorite scriptures, and this is kind of the anchor of this series. And it's uh, in 2 Corinthians 4-7. It says this. Paul's talking to the church. For those who are responding to the invite that Jesus says, come follow me. He says this, we have this treasure. He's talking about God's power, God's spirit, God's light. He says, you have this treasure. Right? Another uh, translation says, we now have this light shining in our hearts. It goes back to, you are the light of the world. He's echoing what Jesus said, that you guys are going to shine. I'm putting you on a hill, not to just hide away, but to actually like show the world who you are. So you can be a blessing and an influence and bring change to those around you. You have this light in jars of clay to show that, we are, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he talks about how human they are. We are afflicted. Do you feel afflicted at times? Raise your hand if you've ever been afflicted. Yes, we have. But not crushed. Perplexed. Have you ever been confused about what God wants you to do or where God's leading you or even what God's up to? Yes, he feels this way too but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down. Maybe you've tried to follow God and you feel struck down. You feel like, man, I tried and it failed. I'm never going to do it again. I quit. I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. 
God's saying, no, don't be destroyed. Keep coming. Because we have this jar of clay. That's who we are. But we contain this power, this influence, this light. Jesus is inviting us to make a difference. But we have to say yes to the invite, and that's on us. And oh, So the thing about jars of clay, which is really cool, or maybe not, is that basically he's saying, hey, the jar of clay is basically worthless. Like, it was so common. Everybody had them, and they weren't worth much, and they broke often. And so basically what God is saying is that you guys are worthless. No, I'm teasing. He's saying it's not about the container. It's about what is in the container. So what's in us? And and it's kind of like he's saying you guys are like everyday dishes. You're not fine china, which is fine with me. Because I feel a little chipped. I feel a little scraped. I don't look that good, especially when my son calls me out with my haircut. You know, I mean, this, this is the thing. No, most of us don't feel, like, special. We don't feel extraordinary. We don't feel superhero-like. We feel like everyday dishes that we can just be used every day. That there's chips and there's broken. And he's saying, that's who you are. And because of that, because you're willing, if you open your heart, I will fill you with my power. I will fill you with my presence. I will fill you with light that shines. And actually, the more cracks you have in you, the brighter the light shines out from you. And so don't forget, don't try to be perfect. Don't try to be exceptional. Just be yourself. Embrace the grace that God has for you. Uh, Okay, so we have to say yes to the invite. But there's this thing that the idea is the temptation is real to be bystanders. And actually, when I recorded myself and I listened to myself say, bystander, bystander, I say, bystander, isn't that weird? What is wrong with me? Such a weirdo, bystander. No, it's bystander. I'm going to emphasize er from now on. You'll you'll hear it too. But the, the thing is, the temptation is real for us in this world, in this time, to be a bystander. To, to step back and just observe and, and just watch what, and only like concern yourself with the little things of your life. It's so easy. And, and, in fact, have you heard of the bystander effect? It's like a real thing. I read an article about a, a girl in California, and this is horrific, but she was outside of a school dance. She was sexually assaulted for hours. And, and that's terrible. What makes it even more heartbreaking is that this lasted for hours and like over 40 people walked by and saw it and did nothing. And the idea is that the more people who are around, the, the presence of many spectators freezes people from taking action. And everybody else thinks the other person, that you feel absolved. And, and a, a quote from the officer in that, he says, when everybody, when it's, it's, when everybody's sitting around doing nothing, then that becomes the norm. And see, the bystander effect can influence families, it can influence churches, where it's just like, hey, if we're okay... If we're fine, then everything's good. So we're protected. You know, when there's a world out there of people who are crying out for love, crying out for kindness, and if we just sit back, it's easy to sit back. And actually, the more people who become a bystander, the more influence it is to keep us all from action. And so we have to be people of intention. And researchers have said, What changes a bystander into a person of action? And basically, this is us responding to the invitation. Because I think the greatest action you can take is to say yes to Jesus to follow him. Say yes to building his kingdom. Yes to his values. Yes to his plans. Yes to his purposes for your life. (sighs) Okay, two things stand out 
as I've read about this, and the researchers and scientists have done a lot of different experiments. Okay, I'm looking at time. It's good. When someone makes a commitment to action, so when someone says, yes, I will take action, and they did an experiment where there was this guy, and he was part of the experiment, and there was another guy who, okay, this guy had a bag, and he went to a crowd of people, and he dropped the bag, and he did it with three different ways. He dropped the bag and went to the bathroom, and someone came and stole the bag, okay? The other way, he dropped the bag and said, hey, will you guys keep an eye on my bag? And he walked to the bathroom, and the guy came and stole it. And then the last time, he looked, he found one person and said, hey, will you take a look? Will you look at my bag and make sure no one takes it while I go to the bathroom? Okay, you guys can imagine. The first time when, when he puts the bag down and doesn't say anything, it was stolen. No one stopped the person from stealing the bag. Second time when he just said, hey, keep an eye on my bag. Most people didn't stop the person from stealing the bag. But when he had someone commit to watching the bag, that person stopped him from stealing the bag. See, when you make a commitment to take action, it actually does something in your heart. It does something in your eyes. You can see the world around you in a different way. You say, no, I'm not going to sit back. No, I'm not going to just allow pain and suffering and injustice to go on in my life. I'm not going to. And I'm going to take action for that. The other, time, the other thing is when people have a heightened concern for the welfare of others, greater feelings of social responsibility and a commitment to moral values. Doesn't that kind of sound like Jesus? Isn't that kind of the gospel? Like, care for others? Lay down your life for others? You are responsible for those around you? This is, sounds like the responsibility of the church. And so these things spur action. And I think this is a powerful thing because during our every day, we can easily fall into being bystander. We can be a bystander with just at our work. We can be a bystander when it comes to our families. We can just sit back and observe instead of stepping out because it takes a lot to step out. It takes some guts and it's easier because we are afraid and we're insecure and we don't want to fail and we don't want to get involved and all this stuff. (sighs) Okay. And see, this whole thing is a reason why, and Christian said it already, our vision for City Light from the very beginning is to seek love and care for people like Jesus does. Like we, those are all actions. Seek. We're going to love. We're going to care. We're going to do all we can to represent Jesus in this world. We're not going to be a church that just gathers together and we bless each other and it's good and we're all good and then we go and we live our lives. No, we want to be people who impact, you know, those whose houses are falling apart or for people who need to be fed and need food. You know, we want to be people who are looking to care and to love. Maybe there's people who feel, uh, you know, rejected by God or rejected by the church. I can... I can't tell you how many people have said, you know, I almost gave up on church, but then I came to City Light, and it just felt different. And it's because we're a church of action. Our love is going to be real. Our love is going to be, you know, it's not just going to be in our words. It's going to be in our heart and our actions and what we do. All right, that's, that's good. That, that gets me excited. Does that get you guys excited? That's what we want to be. That's what the church, that's what Jesus started, and that's what we're representing as we go. And the thing is, when there is a giant void of anything, even a smallest amount of that which is done is that much more significant. So right now, if you look, this is good news for people who, look, now I have so many things in my hands. <laughs> what else can I put in my hands? Here we go. <laughs> the thing is, when you look at this world and you see the brokenness and you see the pain and you see school shootings and you see abuse and you see hunger and you see the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer and you see a, just this inequality and you see race relations and all these things, it's easy to feel just overwhelmed and like, I can't do anything about it. I just want to watch Netflix. 
That's all I want to do. I can't concern myself. But the thing is, is when there's this huge void, even the littlest thing makes a difference. Even if you say, I'm going to start responding to Jesus in this way, this week. It's like you don't really appreciate a flashlight until you're in the dark. Like right now, like that's bright, right? Right? Okay? I mean, that's not that big of a deal. But let me tell you, in the dark, this thing would really make a big difference. And see, the thing is, we've all been given this opportunity to shine. We've all been given this opportunity to make, to shine into areas. And I don't, your area is different than my area. Where your place of influence is, where you can impact people, where you can help is way different than mine. And so we have this chance. But the thing is, if you never turn it on, if you're a bystander, if you just say, I'm just going to hold this flashlight and I'm just going to watch and wait. And I'm going to wait until I'm perfect. I'm going to wait until I feel ready. You're never going to turn it on. The way you turn it on is just you do it. Because Jesus says, hey, follow me. Hey, hey, you fishermen, come with me. But, but we smell. That's okay. We all smell. You know? but, but, you know, I, I mean, we, we don't follow. You know, fishermen aren't called by rabbis. That's okay. I'm different. Jesus is different. And we can do this. Oh, uh, but but I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have nothing to offer. No, there's things that you can do today that can make a difference. But I, I work all the time. I, don't, I can't have room to shine my light. Well, you know what? Jesus says, oh, oh my goodness. You guys see that? Wow, okay. See, we feel paralyzed sometimes from responding to the invite because we disqualify ourselves and we say our lives are not ready. And I, and I want to tell you, that's not how Jesus sees you. That's not how Jesus sees us. See, we need to actually make the room light out. We have to activate our lights. You know, there was somebody who um, saw the kids Kids who had less money couldn't afford new backpacks and school supplies. And so she started a nonprofit, and it's Charismark. And Shannon Lynch started this because she saw a need. And she said, I want to take a step. I'm going to do something about it. And this summer, they're going to provide 1,600 new backpacks full of school supplies for kids in need. And then she went a little further and said, you know what? There's kids who go to school, and they get fed at school breakfast and lunch. But then on the weekends, they get nothing. And so we're going to start giving them food to go home with so they can eat during the weekend so they're not starving over the weekend. That's taking a step. That's turning on the light. What about, what about someone who saw like, uh, people who fall into, a lot of people fall into terrible medical debt or they lose their job or something happens and their houses fall apart. And someone says, you know what? We can't just wait around for the government to do something. You know, the church should do something about it. And so someone started Good Neighbors. And now they're impacting thousands of lives, and they're working on houses all the time, in Delaware and in PA. It's incredible. Light on. How about Christine Robinson, who talked last week and shared about her nonprofit she started? She has had a heart for foster care and kids who are parentless and kids who are maybe falling through the cracks or even the foster parents who are struggling to get by, but they want to make a difference. She started Foster Well so that we... See, a lot of times... Americans wait for the government. We say, the government should really do something about this. The government means that we can't just sit by and let the government do the job of the church. The church needs to rise up. We need to rise up and do stuff for people who are less fortunate than us. The government is never going to be God on earth. It's it's never going to do it. And so we need, with the light that we have, shine that light and do something, make a difference. And so she started Foster Well. What about, and I think I've shared this story, but how about my daughter, Selah? When she went to a party, 
that of, of, I think it was a bunch of freshmen, and they were all drinking there, and there was one girl who was playing a game. that was, She drank so much that she was almost passed out, and she was vomiting, and she was so sick, and, and she saw this girl and said no one was caring for her. Everybody thought it was funny how sick she was, and she said, guys, this girl is in critical condition right now. We need, I need to know who she is. Who is she? Tell me her parents' name. I mean to call. And they're like, no, we can't get her. We can't do, no, that's like, you know, we got a code. We don't tell, we don't tell each other. You know, we're going to get in trouble. She's like, no, this girl could die right now. It could be easy. It'd be easier just to be a bystander and say, forget it. It's not my problem. I'm moving on. No, she said, this girl could die right now. We're going to call. And she called the parents. The ambulance came and got her, took her away. And, the, and the, they said, you know, if she had one more drink, she probably would have died. She had so much alcohol poisoning in her body. That is turning on a light. Wherever you are. How about the person in front of me the other day? And, and worship team, you guys can come on up. The person in front of me who um, stopped on a back road when I was rushing to get home. And I was annoyed with them. I was like, why are you guys stopping right now? And then they jumped out of the car and they went and they saved a little puppy from dying on the road. He was just running along. And I was like, light on. They took action. They weren't bystanders. And so I think there's so much... See, this is the thing. Jesus doesn't call us to save the world. He doesn't say you need to take it all on. You need to do. You are the one responsible. In fact, he just says, take a step with me. Partner with me. I know you're a misfit. I know there's flaws in you. I know there's weaknesses. I know you're afraid. I know that you, you uh, don't. You'd rather be at home. But you know what? Would you give me just a, a chance? Would you give me a step in my direction? Would you follow me? See, the heart of Jesus is he believes in us. He believes in what he's put in us. He believes that even though we're jars of clay, there is something, they call it the surpassing power of God that's within us. And oftentimes we don't feel that, but yet it's there as we respond to God. And this is one of my favorite verses too, Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. It's, it's within us, in these jars of clay, in these kind of everyday broken dishes to accomplish infinitely, infinitely more than we might ask or think. See, this is the thing. When you step in God's direction, we have no idea how that's going to affect, how big that could become, what God can use that for. And so you're not saving the world. All you're doing is a simple, maybe even a really small yes. Maybe a really small okay. Because you might have heard all your life you're not good enough, you don't have it. You're not that gifted. You're ordinary. But Jesus comes with a different message. He's like, yeah, okay. So what? Maybe you smoked for a while. Okay. Come as you are. We'll work on that stuff. But I've got plans for you. Would you join me? Would you step in my direction? Would you leave your boat and follow me? And see, we're going to have these wristbands. And it says misfit on it. And on the back it says treasures and jars of clay. And I've worn this the past week. And it's actually been a really great reminder. Every time I look at it, like, oh yeah, I am a misfit. Oh yeah, okay, I do feel afraid. Oh yeah, I do feel flawed. Oh yeah, I don't feel that powerful. But I know that there's a treasure in me. God's given me something. And it's not good enough for me just to sit back. I want, I want to say yes. Do we want to say yes to God? Right? The city light is going to be full of people who are seeking, caring, and loving others like Jesus does. That's our dream. That's our mission. And during this next series, you know, over these next few weeks, we're getting into the details of what that looks like. But that's where it starts. This incredible invite 
from Jesus, his heart of love for you, his heart beating for you. He desires that for you. So let's just stand up together. So you don't need to wear it, or that you can. That's a good reminder, but you can put it on your, you know, in your car or at home or whatever. But it's a good reminder that when we want to shrink back, we can be like those hobbits. We can be like Poe, the dragon warrior. Even though we want to shrink back, there is something that God has for us, something meaningful, because he believes in you. He believes in who you are and what he's poured into you. And so Jesus, we ask God that you would stir up in our hearts action, that we wouldn't shrink back, that we wouldn't hide behind our flaws, that we wouldn't hide behind our ordinary lives. Lord, that we wouldn't let being a misfit disqualify us from what you have for us. But God, like Peter and John and those guys who followed you, God, I pray that we could follow you God, even if we're afraid, even if we don't know what to do, even if we feel overwhelmed, God, I pray that we could take one step in your direction. God, we pray that you would use us and that you would use us for your kingdom, for all that you have, what you want to do. Lord, we know there's a huge void in this world of love, of grace, of compassion, of goodness, of joy. And we want to be people that step into that void. We want to be people who are on a hilltop, not hiding away, but we're shining our light because you say we have something to give. You say it. And if you say it, it's true. It's real. And so God, help us believe in your words to us that you can do infinitely more than we can imagine or dream of, that you can do this in us and through us, God. Thank you, Jesus, that City Light will not be a bystander church, God, but we will be people who jump in and do what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.